Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 111 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level, I'm Sarah. And I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Uh, I guess I'm okay. It's been a weird couple of days yeah I, th- I think we were discussing it we're, we're both we're both just a smidge under the weather right now yeah because it went from being like heat wave 90 degrees here in michigan to being like actually reasonable but like 50 degrees at night yeah and and then you've got the rain that's came in and all, you know all the trees are you know trying to pollinate each other and everything just not but right. like i don't have ac like you do so no. my my house is not a uh, a closed environment yeah and yeah so we were so happy that that the, the 90 degree heat wave went away that we opened up all the windows and kept the fans on and stuff like that. And it got down to like 50 degrees at night. And, you know, after a 90 degree heat wave, um, you, you fail to realize that 50 degrees is not an optimal temperature for humans to exist at. No, no. <laughs> and no. So I'm, I've been a little sniffly and a little sneezy today. <laughs> yep. So, uh, we have an interesting topic. Um, I say that a lot, but like we again started in on this topic with a pretty good idea of where we want to go with it, and then I fell down a rabbit hole. I drug you with me. Uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. We found some extra stuff and kind of came out. I would still say where we started, but with a bit more information. Uh, yeah, definitely. We we this it was it was yet again one of those just one of those discussions that when we were, we were digging up the source material for this uh, for this conversation. Um, it, like we thought it was going to be a lighthearted discussion, and then Rob stumbled across like a collegiate level dissertation. A few, a few actually yeah. on, <laughs> on the topic, and was like, "Oh, oh no, oh no!" Yeah. I found the rabbit. There, hole. There's a reason why one of one of my friends who I really want to get on the show has a doctorate in role playing. Um, because there is, there's a lot going on behind the scenes mm-hmm. and a lot that ha- can be said about writing in general and, and quite a number of papers and discussions can have come out of the concept of what is a role-playing game? What makes up its components? And just one of those components being storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, now we use the terms tactical and narrative storytelling. We throw those or terms games. around all We do it all the, the time. Um, we often compare D and D to a tactical game. Savage Worlds is a tactical game. BattleTech is a very tactical game. GURPS, um, Warhammer 40k, mm-hmm. th- those are games that we call tactical. Uh, whereas on a narrative scale, often we say like Seven C is very narrative. Powered by the Apocalypse games tend to be very narrative. Fate is very narrative. Um, even I would say Mouse Guard is very narrative. Yeah, Mouse Guard is extraordinarily um, narrative. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but what really defines those and why do we put those in those groups right and why, why do we keep throwing these buzzwords around what do they mean and how do they interact with not only the games that we play but how do they describe the players at the table so we're we're going to kind of talk about the system the overarching system of what narrative and tactical mean to us mm-hmm. and where some definitions have come from and and are or more common but we're also going to kind of talk to it in the form of players accepting those things yep. uh, because it makes a difference. And then there's there's another thing that comes into it that we're going to define uh, because it, it gets very easy to start talking about, well, you know, uh, uh, tactical games, you know, if you're if you're going in that direction are, are, are very winnable. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't mean narrative games aren't the same. Right, right. I assure you there are heavily narrative games that people believe they can win. Yes. And and do, and do, definitely do. If, if you ever if you ever played uh, 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 any White Wolf game, Vampire the Masquerade, mm-hmm. in, uh, the, in, the, in, the, in the late 90s, I assure you, <laughs> there are people yeah. who think they can win a narrative game. Yeah, there's, if your ego's large enough, you will attempt to win White Wolf. Uh, I'll, have, I'll have a funny story about our about our LARP a little bit later when we start talking about that. But, yeah. Uh, so and and are they opposites? Are are they by you know are they polar opposites of each other, or can you have something that blends the worlds? Well, right. So I think I think what we should, we should do is we should start off by defining like just kind of what we mean by each one of these things. We threw out some examples, and those are all very great examples of it. But right. Um. Also, we kind of need. I, I think we should define kind of where the the two polar opposites i suppose of these two terms are so you can understand where they are at their extremes okay and understand where most games sit in the middle of them which one would you like and would you like to swap from what we were originally going to do uh I, I i don't know what we were originally going to do because often i'm the narrative and you're the tactical oh that's that's true that's true um 
No, no. I think I think we think we should speak to our wheelhouses. Go for it, then. Right. I will. I will let you take the floor. So, tactical gaming. Um, a tactical style game is um, mostly defined by its structure, its rules, its um, level of attempt to simulate reality, mm-hmm. or at least reality within its own within its own world building. We'll, we'll get to simulationist later. But well, uh, right, 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 right. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying is is that it's a it's a it's a uh, symptom of tactical. Like, it is very much so. So you know you'll you'll have like ranges on weapons, and yes. those ranges will be defined by what is realistic for hmm. the historical weapon this thing is based upon. Yeah, or realistic within the physics of the setting. Right. We made up an energy weapon like a particle projection cannon. Um what would that look like? What's the internal consistencies for this fantasy weapon, you know? Um but it it, it runs on terms where it tries to simulate even its own fantastical made up reality, but it tries to simulate something that is reality. Typically you'll have very structured turns. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, we dropped D and D fifth edition yeah. as a uh, uh, as, as a definition here. D and D turns are six seconds. Mm-hmm. Period. Um, a square mm-hmm. is five feet. Period. Mm-hmm. You may move a standard thirty feet per turn unless something modifies that. Yep. That is six squares, etc., etc., etc. Okay, all of these things are very well defined. Um, during your turn. You have mm-hmm. an action, a bonus action, and mm-hmm. possibly a reaction. Mm-hmm. Again, very codified types of actions. Yes. Even your status effects are very codified. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are kind of the hallmarks, the earmarks of a tactical game. Mm-hmm. Um, if you push D&D 5th edition a little bit further mm-hmm. and you strip away a little bit of the role playing, D&D becomes a tactical board game. Warhammer is a good example Very of the quickly. next step. Yeah. Um, in fact, when I was when I was learning 5th edition rules and stuff like that, um, it kept actually reminding me a lot of the game Final Fantasy Tactics. Mm-hmm. It's an old PlayStation game that I grew up on. Um, one of my favorite games ever. Mm-hmm. Highly suggest it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also grid-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get basically an action and a move every turn. Yep. Each one of the classes have different rule sets that they follow. Yeah. Not unlike chess. I mean, chess is the most tactical game. You could technically have a narrative following chess, a game of chess, but, I mean, does it make it any less tactical? And the answer is no. You're still following a, a no, grid set of rules. It really doesn't. So so at its logical extreme, a tactical game becomes a board game. Yeah. Okay. R- risk is just a tactical game. Yep. If you start telling a little bit of story, you can actually push it into in, into into role, role play. Yeah. 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 So what's a narrative look like? So a narrative on the far end of the other scale is uh, definitely has certain guidelines to keep it on track, but it's more procedural guidelines. They're less your uh, typical uh, rule set that a board game would have. Uh, there might be an order to actions, uh, but those actions are less codified by... Um, by stringent rules, there are more approaches to something. Mm-hmm. Um, you would still have uh, some some variance to be able to accept what someone is doing or what someone else is doing. A, a good example of this, um, 7th C has a lot of what seem to be very stringent rules, but in truth... They're very flexible about what you can, what you say you're actually doing. It's it's more open, whereas D and D is very specific about if I want to open a door, this is how I open a door. If mm-hmm. if I want to uh, react to something, this is how I react. Whereas in Seven C, you've got a little bit of wriggle room there. Plus, you you throw in elements of dramatic that can you know, drama that sits on top of it that gives it additional flavor. Yeah, you know, yeah. if I want to. You know, attempt a seduction action right in the middle of combat. Sure, why not? You know, if it fits into the flow of activity, let it happen. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing that says that a that a a woman draping her leg out of the door as the guards come around the corner chasing that somebody that they won't be distracted by it. Whereas in D and D, there's a role for that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, on an extreme of this, that would still have some framework to it. Is is dread is a great example of mm-hmm. of a of a very very basic framework. When the storyteller believes that the action is something that is consequential, you pull a block. Mm-hmm. That's it. 
I mean, it's the simplest of rules, yeah. but everything else is narrative. It's all flexible. Yes. Even the story and setting itself. So you get games where there is less to do about the rules and more to do about the story, and you lean into that. And I think we both kind of came up with a hierarchical uh, or a 50,000-foot view of both of these things where mm-hmm. narrative tends to be bumper bowling. You know, you're going down the lane. There's these kind of guides that help you. It, that's it. You're you're just going. Yep. yep. Um, whereas a tactical game is a roller coaster. It is grid. There are safeties. There are harnesses. There are checks. There's an operator. There's a timing. If anything's off, everything stops. And it's on rails. Correct. It's going to be an exciting ride. Without a doubt. Or boring you, as hell. But it will only ever guide on those rails. Correct. Yes. Correct. You can see where it's going by every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are still some randomization that can occur. There are still events that can change based upon that randomization. But for the most part, it's... 100% rules-based. Yeah. You're not going to take a giant leap off of those rules to do something else because at that point you're altering the system. Yes. And you and people say that, oh, I homebrew these changes. The moment you hear someone saying they're homebrewing something, mm-hmm. okay, you, you've, okay, what tactical system are you using that requires you to change the rules? The rules yeah. to be able to fit something new. I was reading. I was reading this this uh, Reddit thread the other day about someone who had a, a like an extreme rules lawyer in their D and D group. Oh yeah, and uh, they were like, "How do I explain to him that as the DM, I'm not cheating and I'm allowed to homebrew stuff?" <laughs> you know, but be- because people take it to those extremes sometimes. You yeah, know? and I think that's that's that that's something that we have to understand is that mm-hmm. systems may be narrative and tactical by design. And they're not always explicit in what they're trying to do. Because, again, they're not going to say, well, I'm fifty, I'm 80% into tactical or I'm 40% into narrative. That doesn't mean anything to the person who's reading the book. You mm-hmm. kind of have to read into them to discover where they fit. But it's up to the players to truly decide how far and how deep they go. I know in my games of D&D, there's a lot of roles that don't happen mm-hmm. I because they're not necessary. Sure. I play it from a narrative point of view. I'm not going to make something... Half make somebody have to roll every time they move through, nor am I going to have every step of the game require us to move at six second paces. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and I I think that's a lot of a lot of what you can get out of a system is um uh, what the storyteller brings to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, I I've been looking very heavily at Savage Worlds. My game is going to be switching over from a D and D setting to a Savage World setting. Correct. Um, we're we're keeping the same story. We're just we're just switching game systems. Um, yeah, you're literally lightening the rule set. Uh, but but even in that, like I would describe Savage Worlds as a very tactical game. Still, but the move the move the step away from D and D and how I plan on presenting the story afterwards is going to move it in a strong step towards narrative. Right, and I think if I might say, most of your players are narrative players. Yeah, yeah they're absolutely. not they're not in it. To, to for the minutia, mm-hmm. there are players out there who are without a doubt. There are people who love the minutia of tactics and need to know the numbers to be able to to play the game and understand it at yeah. a core level. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Um. Even in and I'll, I'll say this on a board game level, a lot of people say settlers of Catan ruin friendships. It happens mm-hmm. because some people play it. At a hardcore level. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. like if you're not building your roads right or setting up your settlements right, they're frustrated as hell. Mm-hmm. And if the dice aren't doing, you know, now, now it adds a whole other... They're not necessarily playing to win, although that game does do that and we'll get into that. But it is it is the tactical edge of that game that does it. I remember not playing Risk with people because they would get frustrated because I didn't know quote unquote how to play risk right. <laughs> You're not following the meta. It's like yeah. I I don't understand what I'm doing wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and oh, you, well these units are only going to have this much. Your odds are like this and you have to do this and then if that and then you're like 20 steps in I'm like all I wanted to do was move my troops. That's all I wanted to do. Right. Right. right? Um, I don't I don't play Dota anymore for the exact same reason. I used to play ranked to to make sure that I got put in with the same crappy players as I did because mm-hmm. my because my rating was my rating sucked because I suck at the game. Yeah, but that's fine. It's okay not to be good at a game, you know. But uh, I, I I would constantly get yelled at by people of like, man, you suck. And I'm like, are you aware you're in the same 1,000 MMR rating as me? Like, 
this isn't this isn't the 5k bracket buddy yeah <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm sorry sir this is a wendy's drive-thru the thing you're doing is suboptimal i know that's why i'm 1k that's right that's right you can either teach me or shut the heck up yeah. right but uh i mean that's i i think that's a whole thing and then that's where we lean into the fact that narrative and tactical can be players as well so you may look at a system very tactically whereas another player may look at it very narratively that they're only interested in the story. That's something you hear a lot when you sit down at a table with a bunch of people is, you know, is, you know, well, why don't you know the rules? Well, I'm really just here for the story. Like I'm I'm not, you know, uh, the rules will come as I need them, but, you know, okay, I'm playing D&D because I want to hang out with my friends and and play a game, you know, I, I can I play something that's simple, that's not heavy into the rules? Yeah. You know, whereas another person may get very frustrated with them because they're not prepared. They're not tactically prepared for the mm-hmm. combat sequences. And you're like, well, you're not prepared for the narrative sequences. There was uh, there was some growing pains with Sean, too, mm-hmm. um, that uh, I don't mind talking about because because uh, I thought it was a very productive discussion that took mm-hmm. place. Um, uh, and this certainly isn't to throw Sean under the bus. In fact, it's, if anything, is to elevate him mm-hmm. because this conversation did take place. Yeah. Um, but when I first mentioned that we were switching over to Savage Worlds... Um, Sean very much enjoys the tactical play. Uh, Sean loves GURPS and uh, loves Dungeons and Dragons, mostly because things are well-defined. And it's not because he wants to win or anything like that, but mm-hmm. it's mostly because he wants a um, a strong foundation of well-defined rules so he understands what's going on. No, that makes follow. sense. That makes sense. Um and so there's there's never there's never a question of well does this work this way or does it work that way and the storyteller shrugging at him going I don't know whatever the story dictates right you know well that was one of the problems with my last game just as a as an aside I had some problems because one of the things my game was doing effects on magic mm-hmm. and my magic player my my magic users in the game were like okay well what's going on with my magic I don't I don't know how to play my character right now right 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 and I was basically weeding things out and until it was discovered. Yeah, yeah. But it was challenging to get the concept because the rules weren't there to support one of the players. Yeah, yeah. No, it 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 it, it as one of those magic players, mm-hmm. it it did take me a minute of like, well, this is, uh, screws over my entire character, and then I just realized like I have plenty of skills on my sheet that don't involve casting magic, and I should probably use those right now. You mm-hmm. know, it was it was it was it was fun. So I'm sorry, but anyway, um, so we had this discussion um about making the switch over to Savage Worlds. And uh, I was kind of describing it as a, you know, much rules lighter, you know, sort of thing. Um, and also the fact that we're going from something with Dungeons and Dragons where you've got uh, d- dozens of abilities on your character sheet and, you know, uh, tens of, you know, dozens of spells to choose from where, you know, as, as a bard, multi-class warlock, I mean, his list of abilities was pretty impressive, even just at level seven. And... Uh, when the idea of switching over to Savage Worlds came up, he was like, well, how many, you know, am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be able to do that? And I had to kind of sit him down and be like, look, you're not going to have this gigantic list of abilities. You're not going to be able to do a lot of the same things. But at the same time, you're not going to need to. Right. You understand that the environment of Dungeons and Dragons, because of the way that game is played, and because of the rules and the conceit of the setting, mm-hmm. it requires you to have a giant toolbox of adventuring stuff. Yeah. I'm trying to back this more to, like, a story than a dungeon-crawling story. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to need to be able to cast 47 spells a day mm-hmm. of, you know, doing all this sorts of damage and being able to crowd control large groups. Because you're not going to be using that stuff right. further moving in the story. and. At first, it, there was there was a bit of like a, a, a I would say a rocky you know sort of like he was he was skeptical, and there were definitely some side comments that were kind of made out of frustration of like you know, God I feel like I'm getting nerfed, right? And and it was it was a little bit of culture shock moving over. Oh, but, without a doubt. Um, we sat down and uh, we went through character creation together and we talked about some things. And once he had kind of a rough draft for what he you know. He put he put himself through the paces of learning what it would look like in Savage Worlds, mm-hmm. and once he kind of got got a grasp for that, and he and I had some conversations about what to expect moving forward in the story, and how it wouldn't have a lot of those like extreme combat, intense D and D situations. He was kind of like, okay, okay, I'm I'm kind of cool with this now, you know. Yeah, 
And I, I think that's part of the problem with, or not part of the problem, but part of the 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 shock, the culture shock, or the uh, paradigm shift when people move from tactical games to narrative games that they feel very confused. They don't know what they can do or how to do that or where they fit into it. And the more narrative the game, the more challenging it is to shift their mind into that setting. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we have a reality that we walk through every day. You know, some of us are at desk jobs. Some of us, you know, are, are remote. Some of us are, you know, working lines of places. Some of us see the public. Some of us don't see the public. And mm-hmm. this is our perception of how things move. And there's a cer- certain order to them. When someone then moves into a a narrative stage where it says, okay, how are you going to handle this? What's your approach? And there's no guideline. Some people can step right into it. They can immediately move to an acting state Mm -hmm. where they're, where they're pontificating or they're thinking more like their character or, or they're wondering what they would do as they envision themselves in that situation and start to, you know, well, I'm going to do this where somebody else at the table is frantically looking at their sheet and the rules book trying to, to try and what the rules what say does the word approach do. mean yep. what words yep. do i have to what words can i use to make my approach effective mm-hmm. and and that stuns people they just they don't know how to handle that and i i think this this whole thing is just really important um to kind of try to like figure out where your players are but also where the game system that you're using is mm-hmm. um simply because you you a lot of I would say a lot of the conflicts at the table um, when when fr- frustrations with the game I should say mm-hmm. conflicts between the players and the game system that ha- um, I would say happens a lot yeah happens happens a lot happens because of mismanaged expectations mm-hmm. you know if if you are a very narrative player you're probably going to find a tactical heavy game like Dungeons and Dragons to be very constrictive yeah um you know whereas like you were just saying. Uh, you know, a a heavily tactical player finds the wide open gulf of possibility of a narrative game to be a utterly stifling expanse of of nothingness Mm -hmm. that they that they don't know what to do with. Yeah. And I think this is a good point where we can talk. We kind of bring in the concept of of uh, gaming the system or winning. Mm hmm. Um, that really it doesn't fit narrative or tactical directly. Both can be one. Without a doubt, both can be one. Um, or have the idea that the player believes they can win it. Uh-huh. And I think the closer, and that's that's where the scale goes up. Yeah. Not left to right, now, but up. Do you want do you want to talk about GNS theory first, or do you want to go through? Do you want do you want to jump straight? Let's to... let's at least define what we're saying here, and then we'll jump into GNS. Okay. Um. So we're talking about the the concept of 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 gaming or the the winning certain uh, players and systems tend to lean into it but at a certain point the player really is the one who's doing that mm-hmm. and because you could play board games not to win just to have fun. Yeah. Um, there's a, a tile game um, that is the name is eluding me completely right now um, that I play uh, with a, a few friends and y- you basically just keep laying down roads. Mm-hmm. That that's it. It's it's uh, Carcassonne. Um, and you, you lay down roads and as you lay down these tiles that connect roads and rivers and things like that, um, you can build settlements and the object of the game is to have the most points at the end of the game by building these settlements and taking ownership. Okay. Oftentimes than not, when we play it, we just play and see who wins Mm -hmm. at the end. And there's no like, oh, I kicked your butt in this, you know, but some people play that like bloody winners Mm -hmm. like they're in it to destroy you and cut off your things and and play it very very aggressively they're calculating odds for what cards might still be in the deck correct they're counting things they're looking at the worksheet to see how many tiles of a certain kind are still in existence i mean they're basically playing poker effectively in a random setting yeah and that presents a challenge, the biggest challenge between players is the players who believe that they are playing at a table that's even, you know, of, of style and, and common player and those that are like completely competitive and just want to win. And I think soon we're going to end up having a discussion, not tonight necessarily, uh, I don't think tonight, um, about theme and about mm-hmm. establishing that theme of the story. Whether the theme, regardless of the system, is we're playing a narrative story, 
a narrative heavy story mm-hmm. that is about the struggle and you're all going to have struggles and there's going to be challenges related to struggles both interpersonally and with the environment great so it's a survivor kind of s game wonderful mm-hmm. everybody is now in the same but if you just start a game with a setting of here is this tragic world and you're all a bunch of you know knights and and wizards who are trying to help out a king there's no theme the theme might be, you know, as far as the, the storyteller who's trying to run it, dark and brooding, but that doesn't tell the players whether or not they should be leaning into a a game that is about winning. Right. Or, are or we a, playing this cutthroat or are we playing this to see where it goes? Right. Or, or, and, and am I allowed to to give a little bit and, and have some feedback that is outside of the system, mm-hmm. you know, and have it be a little bit more narrative? So... This is we're, we're kind of laying the groundwork for for a future show about theme. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we discovered, which Sarah brought up, and this is where we're going to come into this, um, is uh, we found um, through our digging, and I I remembered this from the past, but I'm so glad we ran across it, which is uh, GNS theory, mm-hmm. and that was. Um, I do. I don't even think we have the name in here, do we? Yeah, but oh, uh, you do. We, we, we go, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So GNS theory. There it um, is. Uh, right. GNS stands for gameism, narrativism, simulationism. Right. Okay. Now, w- how they use simulationism here? Let's is, say they is Ron Edwards. Uh, well, from, I, I'm, I'm getting there. Right. I'm getting there. Um, is uh, what we're probably going to be calling tactical. Yes. But they're they're close to the same thing. Yeah. Here. Um, we'll discuss what simulationism and tactical how they kind of differ. But uh, it was it was a paper written by Ron Edwards in 1997. Um, it was a paper entitled "System Does Matter." Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was basically about analyzing uh, game systems and game uh, gamers mm-hmm. themselves. Yeah, most um, of the players. And now the games, uh, uh, he, he basically theorized that there are three types of mutually exclusive players. Um, and the games will attract, by whatever their rules are, mm-hmm. uh, will attract certain types of players based on the system used. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so gameism refers to players who view it as a game with win-lose conditions, more akin to a board game, okay? Uh, so these are the people who do ruin friendships over Settlers of Catan. Yes. Um, narrativism refers to players who view it as a story to be experienced, mm-hmm. like Rob. Yep. And simulationism refers to players who are looking to simulate an authentic and consistent experience, like myself. Mm-hmm. Um. Now, simulationism does not mean realistic, and Correct. we kind of touched on this earlier, um, yep. but this is where we kind of really get into it. Um, it means consistent within its source material. Now, yep. what we mean by that is a game like Call of Cthulhu cannot be said to be realistic. Obviously, you've got ancient extra-dimensional horrors leaking through holes in reality to destroy our sanity. Right. Okay? Not really exactly a realistic game, but... It has internal consistency with Lovecraft's writings, things that were established in the fiction, um, and the things that it's based upon. The, the rule system attempts to simulate those yes. internally consistent rules. Uh, have you ever heard of have uh, you have you ever heard of the game Tune? I played Tune a long, long time ago. As have I. Now, Tune, for those of us who are not aware, uh, I forgot this game existed until it was brought up for this discussion, <laughs> um, is a game where you simulate playing a cartoon character. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, you can drop anvils on people's heads, and they're yep. just knocked out for a scene, and then they come right back. Yep. Chutzpah is one of your stats. Yep. I, I love everything about Tune. Yeah. Um, Tune can be said to be a simulationist game. Yep. Because all of the rules are internally consistent to simulate accurately the experience of being a cartoon character. Right. And and there are rules that you know inherently about that system yeah. and, and have expectations for. No different than D&D. You have an expectation of what an elf is or what a half, or, you know, what a dark elf is or what an orc is because they're they are to be simulated based on Tolkien's design and others. So regardless of where you're stepping, the moment that you say, well, I'm going to be doing, you know, I'm, I'm trying to simulate a, a setting and I need to find a system that goes along with it, clearly you're into a simulationist design. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That all being said. Uh, so 
there's a lot of criticisms of uh, GNS theory, which I 100% agree with. 100% agree with this because because as I was I was kind of reading this over, I'm like, oh okay, I kind of see where he's going with this, and then when I realized that he was describing these as mutually exclusive, like there are only three types of gamers. No. Period. No. And as much as I identify with a simulationist, I also identify very heavily with the narrativism. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say I'm more of a simulationist than a narrativist, mm-hmm. but it's certainly not mutually exclusive. Correct. You know, I am not just a simulationist, and that is it. Yeah. And that's kind of what this this theory was posing: is that games can have a range, mm-hmm. but you're going to get one of those three types of players attracted to your game, depending on how you write it. And I, I don't necessarily agree with that statement. I think, especially after all the years that I've played games, mm-hmm. I've leaned into narrative a lot more, even in games that were completely designed as simulationist. I played Palladium games. Without a doubt, those are simulationist, a.k.a. tactical oh, games. Absolutely. There's enough charts, numbers, and rules that you can handle anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the amount, I, the amount of source material they draw off of, like, like real-world research that they put into yeah, it. Yeah, which know. is beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Oh, it's great. But at the same time, like, I don't play them like a simulationist. Mm-hmm. I play them like a narrative mm-hmm. because I'd much rather do that. I think that Robotech does a beautiful job of that, even though it is technically a simulation of the anime. Yeah, yeah. You, you still have a huge narrative element that goes into it. Um, and I, I think the, the other, the other big criticism too here is that gameism, the, the, uh, desire to win the game, uh, or, or view, at least view it in terms of having win or loss conditions, um, of, of optimal and suboptimal play, et cetera, et cetera, a right way and a wrong way. I don't think that that's necessarily mutually exclusive to either of the other two. And that's kind of where we came up with our own graph, um, how our our we we started to think of it like an inverted T. Okay, so at the bottom you have um, left to right. On the left side you've got narrativism, right, and on the far right you've got tactical. Yeah. Um, but kind of coming up the middle of that, mm-hmm. you've got I suppose this gameism. Yes. Of of your your desire to win, and I think people fall on one of those two quadrants uh as, as as a point there i don't think they really like i don't think gameism is exclusive to narrativism or tactical i don't either i don't either i i feel that the i the concept of winning can be placed anywhere within within any of those scales it's a it's a matter of where you sit between them and I, I think sometimes you shift. I, I think people who have played enough systems, and depending on the system, might shift. Like, I've shifted between d- playing with different storytellers. Because the theme dictated it. Whether or not the storyteller said it dictated it or not. It was clear that when we sat down on the table, we were against the storyteller. The storyteller was there to try and murder us. And therefore, it became, a, a, instead of a survival game or, or something more narrative, it became, we're going to try and win this using these tactical rules. And we're going to rules lawyer ourselves into basically winning each time because that's the way he wants to tell this story. He wants it to be a very him versus us, the world versus the players. <laughs> and that's that's totally a style. That's 100% acceptable. And I, I can see that without a doubt. Um, the second part of that is that you can sit down at a game where basically the rules are are still set in stone, but the narration is dictating that it's kind of just free form of where are we going with this? What are we learning? Mm-hmm. You know, what what values did your character come out of this? You know, what goals did they meet this session? You know, uh, Mouse Guard does a great job of that. It lets the players kind of have agency on what they might learn. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, um, there's a lot of systems in Mouse Guard, I think, that are really great from a narrative standpoint just because they incentivize failure. And they incentivize calculation. Um, so you're actively given tools to um, play suboptimally, which is typically the exact opposite of what you want to do in right. a uh, in a sort of tactical style game. Um, you know, you're given you're given bonuses for actually throwing monkey wrenches in other people's roles. Mm-hmm. And because because that's where the fun and interesting stories get told, you yeah. know, and it's all to essentially eke out a fun narrative. Yep. Without a doubt. Without you know? a doubt. 
So we're not saying that GNS theory is correct. We're saying that there are aspects of it that we we pull because we kind of recognize them. Yeah, I I think I think our our big takeaway from GNS theory is that wow, it sucks, but um we uh we're glad somebody said it so that we could have the discussion around it of the interesting points that it brought up. You know, yeah, it was it for for me it was a lot like uh, those MythBusters episodes where they they are completely way off. All of their theories were completely wrong, and they're just overjoyed because mm-hmm. any any data is data, you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, I I, I kind of want to step over to narrative to us for a second and kind of discuss some of the the bumper bowling aspects because I found that there were two paradigms that fall hard in uh in narr- in in narrative storytelling. Sure, and even with players, and that is is that. Um, Narrative has basically virtual experiences or mm-hmm. collaborative storytelling. Right. And that's basically where the two... A, a virtual experience is one where the storyteller is interacting with the players in an environment that's being presented. So the discourse, the the, the contact that happens between the storytelling and the players is coming from the pre-crafted ideas of the characters in that setting. So, you know, when I'm playing... Whether I'm playing a digital RPG... Um, it's effectively a game on rails with some hidden collaboration by the storyteller. He's he or she is pulling information from the players in the background, weaving that together, and then presenting something in front of them and setting setting the road before them, right, to show them the experience. So of it. this is this is a bit. Um, I th- I think you're referring to like um one of the suggested things that I I say you should ask in a uh in a session zero is mm-hmm. what type of story are you looking to tell with this character? Right. You know, are you looking for a, st- is your character trying to get revenge? Is your story, mm-hmm. is your character trying to strive for greatness? Do they want to achieve a certain goal? Do they want to travel to a certain land? Yep. What do you want to do so that I, as a storyteller can help you tell that story? Right. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of people look to games to be that they want to hear the story that the storyteller is telling and have their character march through it, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's a, that's a, a definite way to do it. Uh, the other is collaborative storytelling, and this gets you closer to the writer's room kind of thing. And that's where the, it is a shared experience of design and framing theme becomes more important. Um, and the discourse between within the story is bound by that theme. That's mm-hmm. pretty much it. So world building, character building, um, the whole concept of empty map altering or dramatic editing as like adventure does are all components that go into that. Mm-hmm. So your your character might have backs, you know, might have background elements that you as a player actively bring into the game. Right. On right, a regular right. basis so that the storyteller's like, yeah, yeah, that fits totally. Yeah, he's your cousin. Uh he was, you know, he worked for the marquee uh, for a number of years and these things. So that way the players b- start blurring the line between a storyteller presenting them something and them presenting their own pieces to it. Mm-hmm. And this can get very far into, you can get exceptionally far into this where like City of Mists, everyone is building the world. Everyone is throwing elements at the world and weaving things between them. Dungeon World does it with bond, with the bond system where you already have bonds with the other players and you're constantly shifting things yep. and finishing things. But also the empty map Yep, uh, where everybody, everybody gets a kind of gets a say in what's mm-hmm. on the map, what exists in the world and a little bit about why it might exist there. Yeah. And regardless of the system, even in systems like that, if the players aren't on the same page as the narrative goes, if some of the players are expecting this to be a virtual experience and other ones are expecting it to be a collaborative experience, they can clash quite hard mm-hmm. on just that concept. Um, because regardless of what you're doing, it isn't the rules dependent. You don't have a guideline to help you with that more. Some systems that lean to the narrative do give you some positioning to help players who are who, in collaborative senses sense, uh, senses of it but in games that are are virtual experiences that are tactically based you know like D&D players don't know how far their agency is allowed to go yeah yeah and sometimes that can get very frustrating i remember um in your game mm-hmm. uh, we had a there, there was a there was a place where um we had gone to the ruins of the gnome city. Yes. And uh, you asked us each for, like, just describe to me something you're doing in the gnome city. So something you would discover there. Yeah. 
And I remember, like, we were playing virtually at that time, so we yep. weren't sitting at the same table. And I was kind of, like, panicking. Mm-hmm. I was straight up panicking, like, sweating, thinking, like, I've got an idea, but I don't want to, like, I don't want to overstep my bounds here. Right. You know, I don't know if this is a thing. He's going to be like, that. that's not a thing. That's not real. That that can't happen in my story for X, Y, or Z reason, you know. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he is asking. Yeah. So... All right here goes i found a magical force field generator and you're like yeah cool and i was like oh oh good okay yeah that didn't break his world by saying those words no you know but as a tactical player i need things like that defined for me you right know? right and that's that i was very framing. strictly worried about what's quote-unquote real right and by breaking those things and not having not being able to give you the theme of where I was going to be looking for stuff like that, and that the world was flexible at this point and, and kind of able to be built, it it kind of destroyed a little bit of the the flow of the game. Mm-hmm. So I kind of pulled those sheets back and went went to a different direction and continued on with a more tactical game, which tends to work better for the group that I'm that I'm writing for. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I give you guys agency with your characters. And your your own elements within that, and where you want to go, but it is very much a narrative experience of of uh, a virtual experience. Mm-hmm. My my world, yeah. Um, but again, it can be very challenging for people who are wanting to be a, in a simulation, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. who want those walls to help them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so on on the other side, then you've got you've got your tactical play, and so the the, the things I will say about that is, um, uh, first off, tactical and simulation are not the same thing. No, um, I agree with that. Uh, so I, I know we we've kind of uh, be, because of the discussion of GNS theory, um, we we've kind of conflated the two terms, but I really want to like real quick touch on that. Um, so like we <clears throat> described tune. I've got I've got a, a sneeze tickling my nose. I'm so sorry, guys. No, no, no. I may you... I may duck out mid sentence here. Um, tune can be said to be a definitely a very simulationist thing, and that it is trying to simulate the experience of of a cartoon. But it is a far cry from a tactical game. It is chaos incarnate, like a like a cartoon should be. Right. Um, how you use your skills, how much damage a frying pan does, these things are all very negotiable. Yeah. You know, depending on how high you drop that anvil from. Right. Et cetera. Um, and so I I just, I, I don't want people to conflate those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more interested in having a discussion about tactical stuff than I am about simulation. Uh, they do share a lot of things in common, but uh, but they're not the same. Yeah. Um, and I think simulationism falls under narrative as well. You can have a very realistic narrative. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if people want to play actual 18th, you know, 16th century French court, you can get very specific. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So. Um, now, one of the other things, too, that uh, uh, tactical gaming has, to its advantage at least, mm-hmm. um, is that it, it offers you a firm framework and this is kind of what i mentioned earlier with like my discussions with sean mm-hmm. um about their expectations and outcomes uh in in that you can you kind of always know what's going to happen mm-hmm. um i would almost liken it to to like uh narrative play is cooking whereas tactical play is baking okay you see that um I, I've done both, and one of those I don't do well, so, so I understand. Cooking, cooking, you can like throw in a dash of salt, taste the sauce. Mm, needs a little more pepper, yeah. maybe a little more oregano, and just salt bay that stuff in, right. and and you'll come out with something. It's kind of art, you know. Mm-hmm. You're just dashing things together, and as long as those flavors mix well together, hey, mm-hmm. congratulations, you did it right. Yeah, baking. I crap you not, you put in a quarter of a teaspoon too much baking powder, you have ruined everything. Especially on a humid day in the mountains. Yes, if you if you bake something at 425 instead of 450, so help you. Yeah. You know? Yep. Um, but at the same time, though, baking also offers you the exact opposite of that. You know that every single time you throw one cup of flour, a quarter stick of butter, et cetera, et cetera, yeah, yeah. all together, and you throw it in there for, you know... 15 minutes at 450 you will always come out with that result correct and that's and that's tactical 
Mm-hmm. You know, you know that every time you fire your weapon, you will do this. You know that you have a plus three to this, so that gives you a 50% chance every time you want to attempt it to succeed. Mm-hmm. And when it succeeds, it will have this quantifiable effect. Yep. It gives you some stability, some something to count on. Exactly. And it's it's very comforting, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's weird to talk about the emotional attachment to tactical play, but... Uh, it's, it's definitely there. Um, it provides the comfort of balance and control. Yeah. You know, there, there is comfort in control. There's, there's comfort in the safety of knowing what is to come. And I would say even, even from a storyteller standpoint too, uh, like one of the big scary parts of moving from Dungeons and Dragons to Savage Worlds for me is the fact that, uh, Dungeons and Dragons has a challenge rating system. Now, say what you want about the efficacy of the challenge rating system. I've certainly had my own challenges with it um, in, in my own games of, you know, th- things that I thought would destroy you guys in three turns and you, you end up one-shotting them. Um, yep. and, and then other encounters where I thought this is just, you, you'll, you'll, you'll steamroll this in five seconds mm-hmm. and 15 turns later we're, we're like, oh god, everybody's dying, you know. Yep. Um but moving to Savage Worlds, Savage Worlds doesn't have, I almost want to say Savage Worlds doesn't have game balance. Um, there is a section in the book, in the the, the Suede Manual, that, that talks directly about balancing encounters. And uh, their direct answer in the main book is, we don't balance encounters. I mean, throw what you think is realistic in there. And if it's too much for your party, they should probably run, which is also a realistic thing. And hey, that's great, because the action doesn't stop. Maybe the maybe the, the fight scene turns into a chase scene then. Right. And it's it's just as exciting, but it's changed from one thing into another, and, and the action continues. Yep. And that's kind of how they encourage you to do it. But by no... I mean, they, they outright state, like, we don't balance our encounters. They're not going to find challenge ratings or anything like that for any of these monsters. Yeah, and and I think there's an unrealistic hope that your challenge ratings in D and D are rules, like you were saying. Like, yeah, I almost I almost wish D and D would just be honest and just throw the challenge rating system out, you know? Because because the challenge rating is based upon randomization, which is based upon what? Well, so I mean, it's it's based upon a certain calculation of the amount of damage a hip uh, a, a monster can deal out in a turn versus how much damage it should be able to take. But the, the modified by its immunity, but again, resistance. You're balancing and... against what? In 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 a, in a at a craps table, everyone is throwing the same dice. A four person party of a particular level. Correct. Right, but yeah. Of what? How many classes? Exactly. How many rules? How 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 did you roll up the characters? Mm-hmm. What 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 failings do they have? You know, all of yeah. these things come into play. There's so many damn variables. That go into things. Yeah. And what conditions are they in coming into the fight? Right. That's not calculated. Right. So... I mean, you look look at something just like a fight with a ghost. Yeah. It's incorporeal. The question is not, uh, you know, how many hit points does it have or how much damage can it deal? It's uh, what are their wisdom saving throws like? Yeah. And how much magic do they have? Yeah. Because your regular old swords are not hitting that thing. Nope. You know? Nope. Yeah, so, it's... It's... And... And I think that's, again, I'm going to come back to the tactical verse narrative. Mm-hmm. I think without setting up a proper theme, themed understanding, like you said in Savage Worlds, that there are going to be encounters that you should run away from. Yeah. You're going to come in there and you're going to be like, hey, I got this. And you fire off your cannon and literally it singes the hair on its belly and it kind of looks down. As if it just had sunburn. Like, it's confused. Like, was that... Wait, what was your expected outcome? What did you think was going to happen right. there, At buddy? which point, it roars and spits out acid that starts melting the trees around you. It's time to go. Yep, it is time to go. And and, and that's that. That's where you have to set that theme mm-hmm. of to your players of, there will be things in this world that you cannot handle, that you will come yep. across. I don't know what they will be. You will have to decide that. That's and and I'm definitely going to have to give that speech to my group on session yep. zero point two. Yep. Uh, because there's there's going to be a shift in the game, and if yep. you guys try to continue to play it like it's D and D, yep, you're gonna have a bad time. Yep. Exactly. Have a bad time. Exactly. So. Um. So I mean, on on top of that though, like so on top of the comfort of just knowing that the game is balanced, but there's also a fairness mm-hmm. because even the storyteller 
yeah. is kind of playing by the same rules in a tactical sense. Correct. Um, and so it's not, I would say it's like, it's, it's one step back from metagaming and mm-hmm. that you can kind of assume that if your storyteller is handing you balanced encounters, you can kind of understand that the game is fair to an extent. Yes. You know? But I, again, that all comes back to do what? what is your understanding of what the game is going to be like? It's, it's true. Yeah. And it also depends on what, what sort of balances it, uh, the, the game system has internally. But Correct. The, the more tactical you get, the more balanced things tend to be because the um, game writers are typically doing that with a sense for the math behind things mm-hmm. rather than just, wouldn't it be cool if there was a faction that did this? Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 I mean, I always... I always look at it like uh, when I used to play Magic the Gathering, mm-hmm. and I would play with friends, and we would build decks, and we'd have fun little things against each other, and we would we would just play with some some basic stuff, and we would we definitely outline like what we were throwing together, and then I would go to play at a store or uh, with somebody else's friend, and they would literally have some kind of obliterator deck that had extra cards from these brand new packs that just came out, yep. and they're in it to destroy. And the rules that they're playing by in their head are very different than the rules and designs that I'm playing by. Oh, yeah. I'm no longer enjoying myself. I'm barely surviving. Mm-hmm. You know? And that was just... It ruined the fun. And I can yeah. understand where this these differences can ruin the fun of people who play various systems. Yeah. Our, I, our, our friends play Overwatch uh, yeah. uh, to, to a reasonable extent. And uh, it's one of the reasons I, I can't join them. Because I I play Overwatch for fun mm-hmm. and uh, I don't play it forty hours a week like a second job, and so I can't snapshot people from across the the, the map with headshots instantly. Yep. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, and and that always goes back to the whole thing of of people who uh who drop their rank, you know, just so that they can play at different levels and, oh, yeah, and feel and powerful. In Dota, we call that smurfing. Yeah, I mean yeah. that that term's kind of universal, I think now as well. Not sure. Yeah, but, but it's, yeah, it's, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, but uh, um. The, uh, I think there are people who do that at cons. They'll go and find a a D and D game that's you oh, know sure set happens, you know yeah. set to five levels and min max a character to grind through like a badass. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To feel powerful and, and, and to yeah, win. I, mean, I I get it. I get it. You you want you want to win because losing doesn't feel good. Right. You know. So I I, I understand you 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 kind of want that safety net of like I know at least you know if the chips are down I'm a badass and I can heroically blast my way out of it but uh i I think it's important not to lose sight of the narrative behind it though and and just make sure that everybody else at the table is having fun you know i mean sean in and of himself has has a lot of those like tendencies to want to like optimize his character with the best stats and the coolest abilities that are the most useful the most meta yeah you know but when he hits the table he plays lord thalian arroway not a level two warlock level level four bard, right? That is, you know, he's not playing a stat block. He's playing no. a noble with an optimized stat block. You know, right, right. And and that's why I think he fits with our group right. well. But right. um, and again, you learn from the people around you as yeah. well. You adapt and and fit into the system or the sit fit into the group setting. Yeah, or. You don't, and you tend to drift from those games, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it happens. It's it's all for what you're looking for out of mm-hmm. out of the game system, mm-hmm. and it's 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 okay to optimize. It's okay to want to win. It's just a matter of make sure that your goal is to have fun, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and and don't and don't let ruin winning everything for everybody else at the table. Exactly. I think so. I think that's the biggest thing is understanding that the other players at your table may have different expectations of how they want to play that game. Yep. All right, we got a we got a question, and we're running out of time here. We are kind uh, of running out of time. So, Knox in the box uh, asks only because I've been toying with my Switch lately, Nintendo Switch. Uh, but what if a campaign was done Fire Emblem style, okay. in which the players were simply soldiers already involved in a war? Do you think there's a way to take this very tactical based and perhaps planned concept, but use the collaborative narrative narratives in a way to express the tactical battle planning elements so that it feels more dynamic and cinematic? I don't see why not. I think this is kind of exactly what you do with your game mm-hmm. um, in that you, you're running a very tactical system, D&D 5th edition, yeah. but you run it in a very narrative heavy way. 
Yeah, I I only bring in elements when there is a challenge, mm-hmm. um, or when I feel it makes more sense for my players to get into the nitty gritty. Will I actually pull out a battle map and do anything like that? If it if there's a visual reason for it or a physical reason for it to help with the narrative, then I'll do it. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I don't see a problem with literally giving them skill checks or or simple rules of like hey uh you know i'm just going to take care of this using this spell and this ability great just just mark it off you know until our next uh, next long rest uh and and so let's see what happens mm-hmm. you know let's let's make a roll and, and let a little randomness come into this but yeah there's no re- there's no hard rule that says you have to lean into a tactical game just because the setting of the world is tactical or that the the outcomes tend to be amber is a good example of a very tactical design and physical where all of it is narrative. Mm-hmm. I mean, amber can be played with just words and and almost no dice whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. I, there are people who will tell you you're playing the game wrong, <laughs> but you can do it. There's always people who will tell you you're playing. But the game I think wrong. that I I think you could very easily dictate. Uh, elements of of any part of a a tactical game in a narrative sense that's collaborative and then come together with what the final outcome is based upon maybe a few random rolls or decisions and consequences and i think that's another big part of it is can you come up with okay and and i like the design of you get a choice Mm -hmm. either you get to pick who's involved in the scene or the outcome. Oh, okay. And I okay. like that design as a narrative thing where it's like, okay, um, so this army and his army are involved in this encounter. Mm-hmm. Okay. What's So what happens then, Sarah, a different player? What's the outcome? Oh, well, it's these groups. So uh, I would have to say that uh, based upon uh, the just the stats and stuff, that this could happen, although he does know about this. So I'm going to say that uh, he gets pushed back into this guy's line. Mm-hmm. That wasn't what the person who set up the scene expected, and now those two players have to play that out. Yeah. yeah. That's a very narrative way in a tactical game to handle a situation. Uh, one of the other things you, you had mentioned in the past, too, um, when we were talking about... Um, uh, in uh, encounter building and such like that. Yes. Um, and you were talking about uh, using the battlefield as an environment. Correct. Rather than you know, an environmental complication, mm-hmm. rather than a you know a pitched place with targets to right to damage and consequences in the in those kind of situations where okay you come across a group of of dragoons who are sweeping a flank. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Do I... you do a sneak by them and let them do what they're about to do? Do you try and fight them off? You know, and then if you fail the fight off, what's the consequence? Oh, I kind of see it as a chance to dialogue with the uh, with the villain. You know, yeah, that too. You, you meet from across the you know the the battle lines. You mm-hmm. see each other. You charge each other. Maybe you you exchange a couple sword blows. And it's, why are you like this? You know, yep. you were the chosen one. Exactly. You were supposed to bring balance to the, the force. force. You know, and you leave them. You yeah. know, or you leave them wounded. Or their people pull them away while they're snarling at you, and mm-hmm. you know you'll see them again. The, the volley of arrows comes in, and you have to take cover. And when you when you when you when you look up, they're gone. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, oh, you know what? We forgot to put next week's topic on the uh, the the show sheet here. Well, you'll definitely see on our postings for uh, next week here. Uh, oh, I'm so sorry, guys. Yeah, I'm actually going to see if I can pull this real fast here. Oh, uh, right. Our next show is a uh, the do's and don'ts of inner party conflict. Oh, how to do inner party conflict right without people uh, taking each other's name in vain. You can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave on Instagram at st underscore conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at seven p.m. Eastern Time at mixlr.com slash storyteller-conclave and join us on Discord. You can find the link on our Twitter as well as our website, storytellerconclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, and Hulavu. We appreciate everything you guys do every month to make us, or have us be able to do this week by week. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, Only Our Footprints in the Sand, uh, by Midair Machine, you can hear on freemusicarchive.org. That's a big... Uh, 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 <laughs> 
As a, as always, a big shout out to our uh, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much uh, for supporting us. All of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over the years and shared all these great experiences, so we can share them with you and you, every single one of our listeners. We thank love you. you so much. Love you. Stay safe. Good night. Good night.